There were three crosses. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. We approach this scene tonight with our hearts more than with our heads. There on that skull-shaped hill outside the ancient city of Jerusalem, men crucified their creator. It was Matthew who primarily recorded all of the incredible events that happened. Uh, he spoke of how after they had nailed Jesus to the tree that the crowds came by and taunted him. If you're the Messiah, come down. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. On and on the taunts went. Then something happened, Matthew describes. High noon. Sixth hour. Noon. It went dark. doesn't record the taunting crowd anymore at that point. I guess something about having to go home and get your lanterns in the middle of the day made them kind of lose their taste for taunting the one that was on the cross. Matthew, Mark's Gospel, Luke's doesn't record a whole lot of sounds that were going on there in the darkness. Yeah, I've pointed out to you before, this was no solar eclipse. If you ever read some writer that tries to suggest such a thing, it's foolishness. Total solar eclipses only happen on the new moon. Passover always, always, always happens on the full moon. This was no solar eclipse. Uh, the darkness of a solar eclipse lasts only for a few moments. We've seen that and demonstrations of that in our own lifetime. This one lasted for three hours. Until at the last, there was a cry, Tetelestai, it is finished. When the light came back on, Jesus was dead. There in the middle of those three crosses, Jesus Christ, your Savior and mine, died. Died for your sins, for mine, and for the sins of the whole world. I don't think anything that happened there really happened by chance. It was as if an unseen hand had written a script. And everything that played out there in that scene played out exactly as it was written. And if it seems that way, it's because it was that way. God had written the script for Calvary by the hands of the prophets hundreds and thousands of years before it played out. The scene was written down. Everything that happened, everything that's mentioned then in the biblical narrative, all had a purpose. And it isn't hard to see why 
that there were three crosses that day because the biblical narrative actually plays it out for us. Now, as you travel around this country, you'll see three crosses on many hills. Whenever you see the three crosses on the hill, whether it's on the side of a road or in front of a church, you know immediately what it means, what it represents. It represents these things. All across this country, I've been from here to the east coast, from here to the west coast, and all across you'll see one thing in common. You'll see those crosses lining the highways. Not three, just one. Wherever you see one, you know what it means. It means somebody died there. Because in our mind, you see, the cross is something that we equate with death. But that scene, this scene so long ago, absolutely unique. Because there in these three crosses, this great drama of redemption is playing out. The first is the middle cross. And we see it clearly as the cross of redemption. It is the cross of redemption. Paul said it in this way in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the fullness time was come. It was not late, it was not early, he was right on time when the fullness of the time was come. God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, made of a woman, made under the law. For what purpose? To redeem a lost humanity under the curse of sin and the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us, then he could declare from the curse of the law. Why? Because he was made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. Jesus became our curse. He took the curse. So that he could redeem us. And not only that he would take away the curse... Although if that was all he would have done, he did far more than any of us ever deserved. And he did enough for us to be eternally grateful and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, because you took my curse. But he did more. That we might receive the adoption as sons. We were under the curse. But he took our curse so that in him we can become the sons, the children of God, heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ. Ain't God good? 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. The precious blood of Christ. The Lamb of God. It was John the Baptist who pointed that out. 
one of the greatest sermons he ever preached. I've often thought about what it must have been like to have gone out and listened to him bellowing, preaching in the wilderness. But what greater sermon could he ever preach than when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is indeed the Lamb of God. He redeemed us. Not with corruptible things, but with his own precious blood. The first cross is the cross of redemption. The second cross, also clearly identified for us in the text, is the cross of rejection. And you see it very plainly. Verse 39, and one of the malefactors, that's a criminal, thief, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, if you be the Christ, save thyself and us. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, apparently from Matthew's gospel's account, both of them were involved in that kind of taunting. Verse 41, Matthew 27, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said he saved others. Himself he cannot say, if he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe on him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he'll have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Cross of rejection. Just hanging with Luke's account in Luke chapter 23, we'll just think about one of the male factors who taunted Jesus who rejected Jesus, who mocked Jesus, who ridiculed Jesus, who said, yeah, man, save yourself and save us while you're at it. There's no indication in Scripture that he ever changed his mind. Certainly he was not alone in his rejection. The Bible calls uh, particular attention to the chief priests And whether it included Caiaphas himself or just the emissaries of Caiaphas, his inner circle, as he would have called it, which would have been the ones known collectively as the chief priests. Certainly if he wasn't there, then they were delivering his verdict. And what a verdict it was. King of Israel, come down from the cross. If you do that, they said, we'll believe. Is there anybody here tonight that honestly believes that those people would have believed had Jesus come down from the cross? I don't. I don't believe it at all. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. Call on your father. Surely, surely your own father will come and save you. Oh, they must have enjoyed that. How many times had they accused Jesus? How many times had they matched wits with him? How many times had they argued against him and reviled him and and tried to catch him? How many times had Jesus turned it back on them and left them in disgrace? Now the lamb is silent. Oh, how they must have enjoyed being able to hit him with those verbal assaults when he didn't reply. There was a cross of rejection very clearly identified for us in Scripture. 
But then there's the third cross. And it is the cross of regeneration. The cross of being born again. The cross of repentance. The cross of salvation. Three men, you see, died that day. One died as a savior. One died as a sinner. And one died as a saint. That man who died as a saint had come that day as a dead man. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. And his life, though it took a particular significance because he had already stood before a court. He had already been tried, found guilty, convicted. He carried his cross up that hill just like Jesus did. He was a dead man while he was walking and he knew it. He was dead. His death was intended to be a long, excruciating, tortuous death as it was all three of them. Our word excruciating, remember, is derived from crucify, crucifixion. Uh, we try today to give people, even when they're executed by the state as a criminal, though they've been tried, convicted, sentenced to die, and the state puts them to death. We try to do it in a way we call humane, if there is such a thing. The Romans knew no such nicety. When the Romans killed you, they wanted you to hurt for a long, long time. They wanted everybody to see you suffer and die that long, agonizing, excruciating, painful, tortuous death of crucifixion. We marvel that they even bothered to listen to the Jews when they came and said, you know, it's a holiday. Let's speed this process up. And of course they did that. Yet this man who came there as a dead man in a sense, but who that day would die as a saint, experienced the great truth of regeneration. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You see, the truth of regeneration tells us that this person who was dead in his trespasses and sins is made alive together with Jesus Christ for by grace you have been saved. But then, because of his salvation, he becomes a saint. How strange it is that the world has so confused the meaning of saint as if it applies only to some elite person, someone who has achieved some special status, somebody who has done some incredible work and therefore has been declared a saint. I want you to know that teaching is absolutely foreign to the Word of God. You know who a saint is? <laughs> well, if you're saved tonight, you're a saint of God. That's just the truth. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he said that you are called saints together with all those who at every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So I just wanted you to know tonight, I bring that up just to, just to make sure that you understand that I'm being biblically accurate when I said there's three men who died that day. One died as a Savior. Thank God he did. One died in his sins. But one died as a saint, God. Now I want us to consider then tonight for a few moments this confession of a dying saint. What great truth that this man revealed in his words. Verse 40, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Wow. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, we can notice, of course, the facts that condemned him. Those aren't in question. The man admitted his guilt. He said, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. That is, he admitted, we are receiving what we deserve. We know he was a thief. I don't know what crime he was caught on uh, for doing that caused him uh, to face execution. Uh, but I doubt very seriously, but he was being executed for the only crime that he had ever committed. Uh, I know what it was like growing up to, to, to occasionally uh, face retribution uh, from my parents, either my mom or my dad. And, uh, you know, I didn't like either one of them. There was a time or two where I might have gotten spanked for something that I didn't do. And don't you know, I howled and howled about it. I didn't do it. Didn't matter. But I can tell you for absolute certainty that if I was ever, maybe a time or two, if I was ever spanked unjustly for something that I didn't do, it didn't come close to all the times, can you say amen to that, that I got away with stuff <laughs> that I should have been spanked for that I didn't get. That's my way of saying few of us ever face all the retribution for our acts. We may see that blue lights in a rearview mirror, and, and there's nothing like blue lights to lift our foot off the accelerator. Amen. I don't, man, it just boom. Blue light, boom. Oh. Maybe we got caught. Yes. Uh, how many times, though, did we do it and not get caught? You see, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I don't necessarily believe that the thief, when he said we're getting this justly, had committed one crime and then would say, I'm being executed for this crime and, and I deserve it. More than likely, he could think back over all the things that he had done over the course of his life and knew full well that his life of crime had caught up with him. He was facing execution. And amazingly, he said, this is just. This is just what I deserved. He deserved what he was getting. You see, what he had done is he had faced the fact of his sin. 
Now the reality of Scripture tells us that nobody really does that on their own. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit of God to convince us, to convict us that we're sinners. And we live today in a country, in a culture where the reality of sin is being pushed out of the minds of people. And unfortunately, many churches are responding to this. And when it comes to sin, they want to go silent. Um, it's like playing a piano that has a key that's dead. You ever done that? I remember playing one one time that uh, the key, let's see, three, three keys over from middle C. Uh, that would be E, I think. Yeah, E right there. It didn't matter. You could hit it as hard as you wanted, and all it went was thunk. I mean, all you heard was the key hitting the bottom. And what simple little song I might have been trying to play, whenever you hit the E, it didn't play. There was a note missing. And I'll tell you, when you have a note that's missing, it shows up when you're trying to to sing or trying to play something and a note is missing. After all, there's only eight. I know, sharps and flats. I understand that still. It's a very limited number of notes that can be hit when one of them is out, you notice it. There's a silent note in multitudes of churches today, and that is nobody's talking about sin anymore. We don't do it because people don't like it. Today we want an affirming message. We want to preach to people's needs and what they think their needs are. And I can assure you that lost humanity will never see their need as a need for a Savior. They'll never see a need as to how am I going to deal with my sins? This man knew that the wages of sin was death. He had an understanding of sin. Somebody had taught him well. The Holy Spirit had moved in his life. He understood about sin. He understood that the wages of sin is death. It's possible for people to stand with all of their success and all of their accomplishments and all of their finery and look down their nose then at some horrible sinners hoping to see them approach Jesus Christ. But I want you to remember tonight that it was a religious crowd that Jesus spoke to when he said in Matthew 21, 31, listen, he said, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Thieves and prostitutes are going in the kingdom of God before you do. The reason why that such a thing can be so is because the Bible defines sin as both to transgress all have sinned and to fall short of the glory of God. How high is God's glory tonight? How far up would we have to go to even see it? How high is the standard of God's glory? Sin is defined as the difference then between where we are and where God's glory is. All fall short. You may stand taller than somebody else, but you still fall short. Go downtown in Little Rock. Find one of those places where that homeless guy is laid out on the sidewalk. He's begging for pennies to go buy him another cheap bottle of wine because he is an alcoholic. You can see he's got the shakes. Sit down beside him. Comfort yourself on how much better you are than he is. 
But before you get away, stop looking at him and look up. You may stand taller than him, but we all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. I listened to an evangelist, full-time evangelist from a bygone era who at the close of a meeting, he said he gave an altar call and a very well-dressed, very refined lady came down the aisle and said she wanted to receive Christ as Savior. He talked to her a moment, began to share, share the gospel with her, and he began to try to lead her in a prayer, something that would say that, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. When it came time for her to talk about her sin, she couldn't do it. Wouldn't do it, he said. After a while, she said, well, I, I can't say that I'm a sinner. He pressed it on her. But all have sinned. She replied then finally, I can't say I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. And if I am a sinner, she said, I'm a good sinner. <laughs> he told her, ma'am, you can't be saved. You can't be saved. You're not ready. Go back to your seat. He defended the lady. She was wearing high heels. He described, you know, I can't tell it like he did. It was his story. Uh, but he described how the, her heels were clicking as she was marching back up the under. But he said suddenly her steps, as he watched her steps, began to falter. Then she stopped in her tracks. Turned around, tears running down her face, went back to him. And this was her confession. I'm a no good sinner. And with that, she was ready to get saved. You see, this thief had it down. He understood what you have to understand in order to be saved. We indeed justly. Do we not face the same condemnation? And we, indeed, justly he admitted to sin. Great problem in our country today is that men don't want to face the fact of their sins. But he did. The fact of his condemnation. Folk, the Bible puts it simply, all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And my message is not tonight that you're a sinner and I'm not. That you're going to hell or you deserve hell and I didn't. No. Our message tonight is that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. We admit that. And if you'll admit that, then you've gone a long way down the way that this man went. To die as a saint. There was a fear then that convicted him. Notice he cried out to his companion in crime, Do you not fear God? And the answer all over the world tonight, and certainly in America, is no. No, they don't. What does it mean to fear God? A carpenter has a fear of a skill saw or a table saw. 
he better. <laughs> if he loses his fear of a skill saw and a table saw, we'll be calling him stubby. <laughs> Some of you here in the service tonight, Mike, could give testimony to that. An electrician has a fear of electricity. He has to. Timber worker has a fear of a chainsaw. He has to. Even a policeman has a fear of a firearm. He has to. He knows what it'll do. And you have to treat it constantly with respect and reverence. What does it mean to fear God? It is far beyond any of those things. It is a respect and a reverence that we show God because we know who He is and we know what He can do. Jesus Himself taught us in Matthew, uh, I believe it's Matthew chapter 21. He said, fear Him. No, Matthew chapter 10, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Fear Him, He said, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And that was Jesus. You know, the only thing that makes me comfortable talking about hell is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I listened to a man preach about hell the other night, and I, I, I don't mind telling you, it, I, it made me uncomfortable. I wasn't the one doing the preaching. It's the first time in a long time that I'd sit in a place where I'd actually heard a preacher preach about hell. I do it a lot, and I'm very comfortable doing it because the Holy Spirit is leading me to do it. I had to sit out in the crowd. I wasn't uncomfortable about hearing about hell because I fear hell. I don't. I was uncomfortable because I knew that a lot of people that I care about, some in that very audience, were headed there. Hell is designed to make us uncomfortable, but Jesus talked about it a lot. The man who died a saint wasn't playing around. He wasn't playing games with semantics. He said, we're condemned and we deserve it. He said, don't you fear God because you're soon going to meet him. But lastly and gloriously tonight, we see the faith that saved him. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, that means truly. I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That man never got to give an offering, never got to be baptized, never got to join a church. I don't say that tonight because any of those three things aren't important. They are. He never got to attend a worship service like you and I are attending tonight. Never got to sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ as far as we know. If he did, it's not recorded for us. Not in this life. But somehow tonight I like to think that there's an old thief, a crucified thief, walking around on the streets of gold. I still think he's got a smile on his face. <laughs> I'm just glad to be here. And the fact is, you and I are going to have that same silly grin on our face. I'm glad to be here.
Because I didn't deserve it. And I'm here for only one reason. Because Jesus Christ died for me. To redeem me of my sins. And to give me eternal life. Six hours, one Friday, long ago. Changed the world. Changed your world. Changed mine. Changed our eternal destiny. And we are eternally grateful. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Our choir is going to sing. And uh, that will get us to the end of our service tonight. I invite you all to, well, just stay where you are. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for the chance that we have just to consider that six hours for the three crosses. The cross of redemption. And God, to our sorrow, there's a cross of rejection. But there's the cross of regeneration. God, we can't be on the middle cross. There was only one who went there. But all of humanity, in a sense, is on one of the other with Jesus in the middle. They're either on the side of rejection, rebellion, resistance, or they're on the side of reception side of regeneration of redemption of repentance and Holy Spirit help every person in this building tonight to be absolutely certain about which side of that cross they're on and we pray it in Jesus name